this month on a series, Lead Me to the Cross. We've been focusing primarily on those uh, chapters of the Gospel of John, uh, John chapter 12 through uh, chapter 19. We finished that series today. Uh, the series has been Lead Me to the Cross. And what we're looking at today is His time on the cross. And I'm speaking uh, primarily today, uh, exclusively in fact today, about the seven cries of Jesus from the cross. If you think about the, what a person says when they're dying has always been something significant. Uh, I remember reading stories growing up about people's last words. Uh, I've looked at the Scriptures. I have preached sermons from the Scriptures on a person's last recorded words in the Scripture. There is something poignant about the final words of a dying man. Now, we know that these are not the final words of Jesus because He was raised from the dead, but these were the dying words of Christ. Now, not everybody has a dying statement. Uh, I'm sorry, I just can't resist telling you about the pastor who uh, one of his church members, elderly lady, had died. The son, he saw the son soon after the funeral. And he was also interested. He had heard great stories about people's dying words. And so he said, son, what were your mother's? You were present in the room. What were your mother's dying words? And he said, she didn't have any. Dad was with her to the end. Uh, Dad was known for talking a lot. She didn't have any. Dad was with her until the very end. You have to explain it. It just doesn't go well. I mean, you know. Hey, I was trying to be nice. The actual story was mom was with him to the end, but that, that might not have been politically correct. Y'all, you would have gotten it then? But think about this. The final words of Jesus, the dying words of Jesus, His final words on the cross, those statements, there is one of those statements that appears both in Matthew and in Mark, and it is the same one, but there are three unique sayings of Jesus, cries from the cross in the Gospel of Luke, and the three that Tim read for us this morning from the Gospel of John are also unique, and so you have to put all of the Gospels together to get the uh, timeline of the seven cries of Jesus from the cross. Now, the first of those, I have to have my PowerPoint. Sorry. Thank you. Um, the first of those, the first cry of Jesus from the cross was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now that took place as the cross is still laid on the ground, Jesus is on the cross, and the Roman soldiers are cruelly nailing Him to the cross. Now imagine this and understand what... I still don't have my monitors down front. Uh, imagine what is going on and he is suffering from being nailed to the cross, and yet he cries out, Father, 
Forgive them, for they know not what they do. That teaches us, for one thing, the danger of spiritual ignorance. Because it says they do not know what they're doing. They did not recognize who Jesus was. They did not recognize that this is God incarnate. This is the Messiah. Uh, the, the scriptures say that none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They didn't recognize Him for who, they were, for who He was, and therefore they did not understand the severity of what they're doing. The danger of spiritual ignorance also applies to those today who do not recognize who Jesus is. If you do not admit, if you do not recognize Him as the only begotten Son of God, you are not saved. You can believe in some God, some invisible being in heaven, all you wish, but until, until you admit that Jesus is the Christ, and you receive Him as Savior, you are in the danger of eternal separation from God because of your spiritual ignorance. There is also a message in this cry of the power of intercessory prayer. In Isaiah 53, it prophesies that He would pray for His enemies. He poured out His soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, Yet he bore the sin of many. He bore my sin. And he bore your sins on the cross. And they crucified him. But he made intercession for the transgressors. I'll never forget Kevin Plaster talking about intercessory prayer and how his son's time, Brandon's time in the Marines in Iraq or Afghanistan, uh, in, in Iraq, I think it was, how that taught Kevin the power of intercessory prayer. It was soon after that that our son Tim was in Afghanistan, and Brenda and I prayed every day intercessory prayers. Brenda prayed the prayers of, of David uh, from the Psalms that says, Destroy my enemies before me. The power of of intercessory prayer. Are you praying for your family members? Are you praying for your lost loved ones? Are you praying for your friends and neighbors who are not saved? There is power in intercessory prayer. That, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do, also is a great example of forgiveness. This is the Savior who taught us to love our enemies. He goes a step farther, further and says, forgive them. And that means you, and that means me. Father, forgive them. We have forgiveness of sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. But listen, that also means we have been forgiven, therefore we can forgive. And we have the great example of Jesus being nailed to the cross who prayed for the very men who were holding the hammers and driving the nails. Father, forgive them.
for they know not what they do. The second cry of Jesus from the cross is truly I say to you today you will be with me in paradise. You recognize that he is saying that to the thief who was crucified beside him. There was a thief on either side. And at some point, both of them were railing against Jesus. But then somewhere along the way, one of them changes his heart and changes his mind. And he defends Christ to the other thief and says, We deserve, we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man, this man has done nothing wrong. Jesus, he turns to Jesus at that point and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now I would remind you of something. He is facing, he is nailed to a cross and he turns and he's looking at another person who is also nailed to a cross. But he recognizes him for who he is. Though he is dying on the cross just the same as the thief, the thief recognizes who Jesus is. He recognized that Jesus would be alive after death. He recognized that Jesus was coming into a kingdom. And he said, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. What a statement of faith in Jesus. And you struggle, friend. You're lost. You've never trusted Christ. And you struggle believing here is a sinner saved in the nick of time because he recognized who Jesus was and called on him in faith. And that's all you have to do. Trust Jesus. Recognize him for who he is and trust in him. Oh, listen. Jesus, you, you may feel, friend, that, that it's too late. But Jesus, in your darkest hour, in the last moments, is still there. Give your life, give your soul, put your faith in Jesus Christ. A sinner saved in the nick of time. It's also a promise of life after death. Today, now they're both dying. They're both dying. But today... Not someday, by the way, that does away with the idea of soul sleep. That when you die, your soul is just departed and, and, and not cognizant of anything. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Where will you be, friend, one moment after death? When you close your eyes here, where will you open your eyes after death? Today, you will be with me in paradise salvation by faith in Jesus Christ and faith alone with no works there is life after death it is also the promise of a heaven to look forward to a heaven to anticipate today you will be with me in paradise there is a paradise that awaits those of us who know Jesus as Savior he, we've talked about, because we were going through John chapter 14, we've talked about this, but there is a promise. The theme of the Gospel of John is that you may believe and by, and by believing have eternal life. 
there is a paradise, there is a heaven that we can look forward to. The third cry of Jesus from the cross is, Woman, behold your son. And he looks at his disciple, the disciple who Jesus loved, and says, Behold your mother. Now, we know that who he's talking to is John the Beloved. Now, John the Apostle. Now, we say John the Beloved. Jesus never said that he loved John more than anybody else. But John said he loved me more than anybody else. The disciple whom Jesus loved. John is the one who said that. I've got a sticker on my re refrigerator that says, Jesus loves you, but he loves me best. Amen. And so it, that statement says to me that he took care of his mother. There's something special about that. We had the privilege of having my mother live with us for a good number of years. When she got older, dad died, and mom lived alone for a while. She got to the point that she could not, and she lived with us. And yes, that was trying at times. And Brenda, my wife, was an angel of mercy taking care of my mom. She really was. But Jesus, knowing that he was dying, Though he would be raised from the dead, he would then ascend to heaven. And he gave charge of his mother, Mary, to John, his apostle. And by the way, tradition says that John was the pastor at the church at Ephesus and that Mary spent the rest of her days with John in Ephesus. He took care of his mother. Not only that, he gave John a very special gift, woman, Behold your son. I heard Rick Adams one time tell the story of when his mother died and he said there was some disagreement in the family and people were grabbing this and grabbing that. And what he ended up with, the only thing he ended up with, was his mother's little dog. A dog that he could not stand. But somewhere along the way he said, I realized my mom loved that dog. She loved that dog immensely. And he said, I realized I got what my mother loved best. I got what my mother loved best. And Jesus loved his mother. And he gave his mother, the one he loved best, to the apostle who felt like he was the one most loved. He gave John a very special gift. The fourth cry from the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's in John chapter 19, uh, verse 26. Is that right? That is not right. That is Matthew. It is in Matthew and it is in Mark. Th those cries are the, that is the cry Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, those, that is the cry that's recorded in Matthew and in Mark. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you notice he does not say Father? 
he says, my God. This is also the only time that Jesus ever said why. In all of his ministry, he never said why except in this passage. Why? Well, why did God, God the Father forsake him? And by the way, I cannot explain this theologically. I believe in a triune God, and I cannot explain to you how God the Father can turn His back on God the Son and still be a triune God. That's all right. My God's bigger than my brain, and, and that's okay with me. There's some things I cannot explain to you, I cannot comprehend. But I can tell you from Scripture why it takes place, because in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, For our sake... He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took upon himself the sin of the world and because of the holiness of Almighty God, God could not look on sin. In Psalm 22 and verse 1, and I didn't, for the sake of the size of the screen, didn't give you the whole passage. But what he said is quoted from Psalm 22, 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 3 begins with the phrase, You are holy. Because God the Father is holy, and because the sins of the world have been placed on Jesus on the cross, God turns his back on His only begotten Son. Listen to me. God takes sin seriously. He is a holy God. God takes sin seriously. Do not think that it doesn't bother God when you sin against Him. But on the other hand, Jesus understands your pain and your loneliness in life. Because He took on our sin. He was tempted the same as we are in every way, the same as we are, yet without sin. Nevertheless, our sin, the sins of the whole world, were placed on Him. He knows how you feel when you've messed up. He knows how you feel when you've backslidden and become cold and indifferent. He understands that awful feeling. And he's, he's waiting for you to come home. He's waiting for you to come back to Him. He understands your loneliness at your darkest hour. My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? Then the fifth cry of Jesus from the cross is the simple, I thirst. I thirst. I can just imagine, Delane, that he said that in a raspy, croaking voice. I don't think he was able to shout at that moment because of the thirst. It says, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Now that teaches me the humanity of Christ and His immense suffering. It takes us back to Psalm 69, 20. I looked for pity. This is a messianic psalm. 
I looked for pity, but there was none, and for comforters, comforters, but I found none. It also tells me about the cruelty of the people. I looked for pity, but there was none. The immense suffering, the thirst, the crucifixion of the cross, and yet the cruelty of the people. How did they respond? They put sour wine, vinegar on a sponge and held it. No cool water, no compassion, just enough because he had already uttered that cry, Eli, Eli, Eli. They thought he was calling Elijah the prophet. And so they gave him just enough for him to get his voice back, hoping he would call Elijah and Elijah would show up. Cruelty, not understanding at all what's going on, and yet no compassion and no comfort at all. It shows us the cruelty of the people, but it also shows us Jesus' care to fulfill the Scripture. Because again, 60, Psalm 69, 21, For my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. You understand at that moment, He is fulfilling Scripture once again. He was careful, Tracy, to fulfill every bit of prophecy that needed to be fulfilled at that moment. In my life and on this day, that is a challenge to me to finish everything I've started. It would be easy in moments like this, in the time of pandemic, in the time of panic-demic, it would be easy to call it quits and say, I've had enough. This is too hard for me. Jesus did not quit. He fulfilled every scripture. He finished what the Father sent Him to do. And my challenge for you today from this cry, the sermon from this cry to you and to me is finish your race. Fulfill your destiny. Do what God has sent you here to do. Then the sixth cry of Jesus from the cross. It is finished. It says that He cried this cry. He cried out, it is finished. His voice was back thanks to whatever they had given Him, what little bit He had tasted. And He cries, it is finished. What does that mean? Well, for one thing, I just talked about all the prophecies have now been fulfilled. He knew that he had fulfilled that prophetic psalm, and now he says, it's finished. I've done it all. It's finished. It says this was to fulfill the Scripture. This is a previous, and Tim read this to us, was talking about dividing his garments. You see, this was said to fulfill the Scripture, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But he knew there was one more, the I thirst passage, and he took care to fulfill that one as well. All the prophets, it's finished. All the prophecies have now been fulfilled. The sin debt has been paid. That means redemption has been purchased. Isaiah 53, 11 says, He shall see the anguish of his soul and be satisfied. Isaiah 53, 11. It, it's, it's like when you have a debt to pay 
and you walk in and you pay the debt and they stamp on the payment receipt, paid in full. You understand at that moment, God the Father is looking again at the Son. He sees His suffering and is satisfied. He says, it's paid. The sin debt is paid. The price of your salvation is now complete. It is finished. The debt is paid. Praise God. It also means victory. Victory has been won. That phrase, it is finished, is the Greek word to telestai. I am told that that is an ancient Greek battle cry for victory in battle. When the battle is over and they see that victory has been won, those soldiers begin to cry out, to tell us die, to tell us die. Victory, victory, victory. Jesus is still nailed to the cross. And yet in that moment, he knows, he knows what so many do not understand. Victory, victory, victory has been won. The final cry, the seventh cry, of Jesus from the cross. Father, by the way, do you notice that? It's not my God anymore. Once again, it's Father. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. John says he cried out and gave up the ghost. But Luke records the words that he actually spoke. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. By the way, do you get that? I give you. I'm putting my spirit. I am giving up my spirit, Father. He had already said in John chapter 10, Therefore my Father loves me, because I laid down my life, that I may take it up again. Get this. No one takes it from me. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have power to lay it down. Oh, and I like this. And I have power to take it up again. No one took his life. He gave it. He gave it. Not only that, it means to me that you and I can trust our souls to Jesus. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. There is coming a day. We've, we've heard a great deal about how many have died and how many might die through this COVID-19 pandemic. But the truth is, friend, we're all dying. We're all dying. We may not know the date or the time of our death, but we're all dying. When you come to that hour, and it is time for your last words, do you have the faith 
to die in. Another story, I'll try to do a little better with this one. I, I heard about the little boy whose father was dying. His father was an unbeliever, an atheist in fact. And his mother was a believer. And the little boy, knowing that his father was dying, asked his dad, Shall I die in your faith when it comes my time? Shall I die in your faith or in mom's faith? And the father said, for goodness sake, die in your mother's faith, not in mine. Do you have the faith to die in? Father, into, my, into your hands I commit my spirit. I know, I know I'm dying and I don't know when. It may be a very long time. But I have no guarantee of that. But I can tell you that I have given my soul to Jesus. And I know that I can sing that old, that old hymn. I looked over Jordan, and what did I see? Coming for to carry me home. A band of angels coming after me, coming for to carry me home. I know, I know that when I close my eyes in death, I will be transported into the presence of Jesus. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. If you do not know Christ, do you know you can pray that prayer right now? Trusting in Jesus as Savior, you give your heart, you give your soul, you give your spirit to Jesus in faith. And you know that He who was able to take up His life again after He lay it down will be able to take up your life and take you to heaven to be with Him.